It is an honor to be back. Thank you for the invitation. Um, how many of you were there for the, uh, the weekend? Uh, few of you? Okay. How many of you were here in November when I was here? Okay, okay, most of you, okay. So a uh, few new faces. I guess I'm the new face here. Anyway, it's great to be back. Love it here. I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but some of you might know my brother. He used to, him and his wife, Julie Swear used to attend here like 15 years ago-ish uh, before they moved to, to Surus area. And so anyway, some of you know him. And so it's kind of an interesting small world. And here I am with you guys. And so it's an honor to be back here um, and a blessing, it really is. So as Darla mentioned, um, I'm here for a few weeks, and so I'm actually going to be doing a series, and for some reason my, here we go, ah, there we go. The series is going to be Pride and Humility. I figured I'd keep the title simple, because really this is what I'm talking about. And uh, we're going to do some consecutive messages related to each other. So today what I wanted to do is essentially start off by giving a foundation and hopefully by the end you'll be convinced that this is a crucial message. Um, the, the humility is something that is such an important thing that we all need as believers in Christ. And so it's something that even though it's a foundational idea that most of you are probably are already aware of, um, in my experience it's good to revisit some of those foundations, isn't it? And to remind ourselves that you know, if we're supposed to be disciples of Christ, which hopefully we all are here, um, this is something that we should constantly be considering. And so what I wanted to do is basically start off with a quote. How many of you have ever heard of Jason Upton? Yeah, one person, my wife. <laughs> That's okay. He's, he's, uh, he's a pretty, he was a pretty well-known Christian musician, I'll say, uh, about 15 years ago. You might recognize some of his songs. He still puts out albums really good, um, but he's also really a really good uh, preacher and, and one of my favorite, actually. And so about 10 years ago, I was listening to one of his messages, and uh, he said this quote. And so I'm just going to read this quote, and, and with an emphasis of what I have in yellow. He says, and I just want you to think about this. Right now in this day and age, the best discernment you can ever use is to hang out with those who are followers of Jesus that are humble and broken. Because Jesus dealt with people, not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of humble or proud. Okay, I'm just going to repeat what I have in yellow there, because that's, that's a crucial part of it. Jesus dealt with people, not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of humble or proud. Now, when I first heard that quote, many of you might be thinking, like, wait a minute. Because when I first heard that quote, quote, I was like, man, that sounds true. But, but is that true? Like, you know, I had to like, sit back and be like, is that true? Because, like, let me put it this way. Most of us think, of, think in terms of right and wrong, don't we? Like, it's like, you know, if, if you just... So it's, it almost sounds heretical... To say that Jesus didn't deal with people in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of humility and pride. But then when I thought, like really thought about it, I was like, that's totally true. That is totally true. And, and, and hopefully by the end of this message, you're going to be convinced of the same. But I want you to think about something. 
If you just look at the life of Christ, okay, just, just look at in the Gospels, who did he hang out with? He, ha- like, he hung out with like the humble fishermen from Galilee. Like, like they were newfies for all intents and purposes. Yeah? They were the humble, they weren't the theologians of the day, for sure. And in fact, if you think about it, the people who were right, the theologians of the day, the people who studied the Bible their whole entire lives, the scriptures, were the Pharisees. The, the very people, like if you think about the only people Jesus ever really got mad at were the Pharisees. He had a lot of mercy, didn't he? And he got in trouble for it. He hung out with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, all of the people that the religious folk were like, those are sinners. And so then they would call Jesus a wine-bibber and a glutton. It's like, what are you doing hanging out with these sinners? And then Jesus would say, hey, these sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they're entering the kingdom of heaven before you, self-righteous Pharisees. Right? It's like the very people who, who studied the scriptures, like in, in John 5, Jesus even says that you study the scriptures thinking you, within them you have eternal life. I'm the truth, the way, and the life, but you're rejecting me. The very people who are waiting and longing for the coming Messiah were the very ones who rejected him. Okay? So it's, it's something that I think we need to consider. Okay? And I want to just point a few things out here. Because it's easy for, like, if we were, I think if, if we were honest, when we read the Gospels, we would all hope, we would all think that we would be Jesus' disciples, right? We'd be the ones following Jesus. We wouldn't be a Pharisee, would we? We, we, would, right? we read the Gospels like, man, those Pharisees were jerks. But I want you to think of something, and I've kind of been saying this. It was the conservative, zealous religious community that immediately became Jesus' greatest enemy. Off the bat, Jesus does a miracle, Mark 3. He heals someone's withered hand. They're so mad that he would have the audacity to heal someone on the Sabbath because if they were right, based on the law, that you shouldn't be doing that. So they got so mad, they plotted already with the Herodians how they might kill him off the bat. The Messiah. Because the problem is, if you're seeking to be right, the problem with that is it can lead to self-righteousness, and that can, that can make you fall. That can, that can very much easily make you get into the place where you start, well, if you start defining things in terms of, I'm right, you're wrong, it can make you proud, like the Pharisees, and reject the Messiah himself, apparently. So no one on earth prayed more, fasted more, read the Bible more, had greater hope in the coming of Messiah, the Messiah, or had more zeal for the things of God than the Pharisees, yet they were the greatest opposers of God and his Messiah when he came. Those who were the most zealous for the word of God crucified the word himself when he became flesh and walked among them. Now it's so easy for us, isn't it? And this is why, and just to be sure, I'm very convicted by this message <laughs> myself. It's... I kind of like preaching messages like this because I get convicted, you know? But it's just something to consider every once in a while because it's like, 
most of us, I would probably say now, would fit into this category. We're probably the religious, zealous, conservative community. Evangel- like, they were the evangelicals of the day, right? They, that would be descriptive of us. So then it's like, it's easy to point the finger, but sometimes it's good to be like, hey, let's look in a mirror and see, are we doing this? Are we following into the, falling into the same trap the Pharisees did? And how? How is it? That's the question I have. How is it that this happened? The ones that were the most zealous and read the Bible the most, all the stuff, the, the theologians of the day, how is it that they rejected Jesus when he came? Okay? So I'm going to give a scripture right now that I'm probably going to repeat a lot throughout this series because it's so important, but, I, but you'll see why I'm going to repeat it a lot. And I want you to think about this. In context of the quote I started with, now this scripture is mentioned three times in the Bible, twice in the New Testament, and they're actually quoting an Old Testament verse from Proverbs 3.34. So both James 4.6 and 1 Peter 5.5, 5, look at this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I heard someone say once, I would rather have all of the demons in hell resisting me than God resisting me. Yeah? Amen, right? How many of you want God resisting you? (laughs) Of course not. So that's why this is such an important thing to consider. And and, and the, 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 the difficulty with pride is, it's the hardest thing to see sometimes, isn't it? It's almost like, it, it, it can attack you from behind like you're not even aware of it, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah. So it's good to consider, man, am I following into this trap? And I want, you to, I want you to notice something. Notice this doesn't say, God resists the ignorant, but gives grace to the seminary professor. <laughs> it does not say that, does it? Okay, so this is what I'm talking about. Now to be sure, and I want to be sure, there's a middle ground, and to be sure, I haven't, had, I, I haven't figured this all out, but it, it, it is important to have right beliefs. Okay, so definitely, I'm not saying it's not important to have right beliefs. There's definitely the foundational truths of our faith, right? You, you're saved by grace through faith. All of the foundational stuff we'd all agree with, that's true, right? But the problem is, like I said, Truth isn't a doctrine or a set of propositions that we give mental assent to. Truth is a person, and his name's Jesus. And if we're doing anything, like reading our Bibles or anything aside from the motivation to get closer to Jesus, then we've got to watch out, because we could end up like the Pharisees, who, if we're, if we're just reading to get puffed up and get knowledge, right, then that can actually get us further away from God because he might start resisting us if we become proud about it. So in light of that scripture, I just want to point this out, that Satan, Satan clearly knows this principle. I think better than a lot of us do, because he uses it so often. Satan knows that God's not going to inhabit any work that's inflated with pride, and that God himself will even resist such a work. So his strategy is to make us proud, even proud of good things. That's the sneaky part about it. Like how much we read our Bibles, witness, pray, volunteer, fast, feed the poor, all the stuff. Because he knows if we'll do the will of God in pride, not only is it going to be counterproductive, it can ultimately lead to our fall. 
like the Pharisees. And of course, we don't want to end up like that, right? So pride is something that is important. It's important to understand because we're talking about humility. We're talking about pride. So it's important to understand both because how do you know if you're falling into pride if you don't consider what it is once in a while, yeah? So I love this illustration. This is, this is a parable and from Luke 18. Now to give you some context, I, I love how this happens in the Bible and, and maybe in, in a subsequent message I'll spend more time on this, but often Jesus is very intentional with where he places parables and he often uses contrasts within the same teaching of different parables to make a point. And where this is located, it's located right after. This is Luke 18. He gives the parable of the persistent widow. If you guys know that parable, this widow, Jesus was making the point that prayer is awesome and you should keep doing it and never give up. So he gives this parable about this persistent widow who keeps going to the unjust judge over and over and over again. And Jesus commends her and says, will I find this kind of faith on the earth when I come back? So this is right after this. Okay, teaching about, about prayer, because, <laughs> okay, well, I'll just read this, because it becomes self-evident why he places it here, because it's something like prayer, if you do it a lot, it's easy to fall into pride, because of what I just talked about. So, look at this, Luke 18, verse 9 through 14, to some people who are confident in their own righteousness, talking about how Jesus dealt with people. Remember the quote I started off with. He didn't deal with people in terms of right and wrong, in terms of humility and pride. This illustrates this exactly. So look at this. Who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And to, to be sure, tax collector, everyone hated tax collectors. <laughs> like they all considered tax collectors sinners. Because they were working for the Roman Empire and they felt they were traitors and betraying the faith by collecting taxes and overcharging people and, and pocketing the money. So everyone hates. So this, if you heard this back then, you'd be offended that Jesus would commend a tax collector, just like the Samaritan. Anyway, got to stay on track here. Okay. So the Pharisee, look at this, stood by himself. Look at his prayer. God, I thank you, I'm not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. So notice he's putting the tax collector in the same category as all these evildoers. Look at this. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. All right, now, but look at this. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. Look, now, now this is a statement Jesus repeats a few times throughout the Gospels. When Jesus repeats a statement like this, more than once in different contexts, we should be Right? Those who have ears to hear, <laughs> you should pay attention. This is something Jesus says over and over again. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
Because this tax collector was wrong, wasn't he? And the Pharisee was right, wasn't he? He was tithing, he was doing all the right stuff. But Jesus like, no, but the guy who's going away justified is the one who did the humble thing and said, I'm a sinner guy, I need your mercy. I'm not self I My righteousness is right, I need you. So, what I want to do is just break down this prayer. <laughs> Go a little more detail to make some points. So, this is the Pharisee's prayer. This is the first part of it. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And I want to point this out. A major manifestation of self-righteousness is this. Focusing on what's wrong with others while being blind to your own faults. And, and you, this might sound familiar, this principle from Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Like, Jesus like, why are you paying, why are you criticizing somebody for the speck in their eye when you got a plank in your own eye? You should take that plank out first, yeah? So the self-righteous are inclined to see more of what's wrong with other people, other churches, etc., etc., than what's right with them. And I want you to think criticism is very insidious, because I understand there's a place for constructive criticism, Yeah? But I want you to think about it. And this is why when we're being critical, we should take a step back and examine ourselves. (laughs) Because criticism gives the appearance of wisdom, but it's pride in its most base form. Because if you think, just think about what you're doing when you criticize. When we criticize others, we're in effect declaring ourselves to be better than them, aren't we? Like this tax collector, hey God, Thank you, I'm not like this guy over here. <laughs> yeah. so I'm better than him. And again, I'm convicted by this too. But it's, it's like, yeah, we need to examine ourselves. In criticism, we should definitely, definitely examine ourselves if we're being critical. Now look at the second part of his prayer. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Hey, God! Look how awesome I am. Like, what a prayer, hey? Hey, God, look at me. I'm, t- I'm tithing. I'm fasting. God's not impressed, is he? He is not impressed. Okay? And remember, I want to remind us, Satan's strategy is to make us proud of these things. Like, good things. These are good things. Fasting's good. Giving's good. Prayer is good. But, but Satan knows, right, if we do all this and we get prideful, it's going to be counterproductive and God will, it'll lead to our fall. Like this Pharisee, God's like, you're not, this other guy's going to be justified, you're not, if you're, if you're going to do this in pride. Now, I like this scripture, this is a, from 1 Corinthians 10, 12, because it's like, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Because part of the challenge is when we think we're the least vulnerable is often when we're the most vulnerable. So when we th- it's like when you think you have it all together, that's probably an indication that you might want to check yourself, <laughs> right? It's like, hey, look at me. I'm doing pretty good. I'm fasting. I'm tithing. I'm doing all the stuff. But that's a, it, right? It's a good time. Well, watch out lest you fall. Because you can fall from any point in this life. 
And, and that's, that was the Pharisees' downfalls. They got prideful about all the stuff that they were doing, all this good stuff that they were doing. Now, this is a... There's a funny story. Uh, it's kind of funny, but I'll say it just to illustrate this point. It's a, uh, how many of you have ever heard of Mike Bickle? My wife over there. How many of you have heard of the International House of Prayer? Okay. Okay. So he's the guy who started it. For those of you who don't know, Mike Bickle uh, started the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, where Trisha's from, actually. Right when Trisha got saved, she went there and, yeah. And the Chiefs are the Super Bowl today. Come on now. First time in 50 years. So Kansas City is, is hopping right now. Um, anyway, so it's in Kansas City. The reason I'm telling you about him is because he, he, when he was a young man, he got this calling. Like the Lord gave him this clear calling that about, with prayer and fasting, specifically. Now, of course, tw- no, oh, f- right, I didn't finish this. T- get this. He started it 20 years ago. 24-7 worship and prayer for 20 years straight. Isn't that phenomenal? People from all over the world go there too. So it's like, Darla, I'm sure you can relate. It's like 20, 20 30 minutes up here. Imagine 24-7 <laughs> like having to arrange that. So anyway, I was listening to a series of messages by him on fasting. This was a long time ago. He gave this series in the 90s, I think. But he tells this story when he was a young man. God gave him this calling of fasting and prayer from Luke 18. I told you the parable of the persistent widow, night and day prayer. So he he knew he had this calling, and so he started fasting and praying a lot. Okay, so he had this calling from Luke 18, and he said, you know, I was starting to fast and pray, and then I started judging other people and being like, look at these lazy people here not praying like I am or fasting like I am, yeah? I'm paraphrasing. It's something. Anyway, and so he started getting a little prideful about how much he was doing it. You know, and this is when he's like in his 20s. Then one day the Lord just rebuked him. And it's ironic because look at where this parable is placed. Right after the parable of the persistent widow, there's this parable about this prideful Pharisee who was being prideful about how much he fasted and prayed. And then God rebuked him and, and convicted him about it and basically said, took off his grace for fast. He said, and basically the Lord told him, like, it's only by my grace you can fast so much. So to teach you this lesson, <laughs> to not get in pride over it, I'm going to take off my grace. And Mike Bickle said, for like the next three years, every time he fasted, it was like rock pile fasting. If that metaphor, you get the terminology. It was tough. And he realized this is only by God's grace. Any good thing we do is by God's grace. Yeah? So it's, it's not even, it doesn't even make sense to get prideful of it because it's not even on our own strength. It's by God's grace we're able to do. So if you're able to fast more than the, your neighbor, don't start being like this Pharisee. He's like, look how much I fast, not like this guy over here. Because God's going to get, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty big deal. You don't want to go there. So, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. So, just to sum this, this little bit up is Jesus didn't base his relationship off people based on whether they were right or wrong, hung out with the humble, resisted the proud. And, and in future messages, I'm going to show you that actually, actually, the way that you, that you become right is through humility. Because like I said, if, you, if you're seeking to be right, that can lead to self-righteousness. But if you're seeking to be humble... That can lead you into the knowledge of the truth because God gives you his grace. 
and he reveals his truth to you. Okay? But we'll talk about that another time. So his disciples didn't have perfect theology for sure. Like, you just read the Gospels, and it's kind of funny sometimes what Peter would say, for example. (laughs) Yeah? They didn't have perfect theology, but they were humble enough to receive Jesus when he came. So then the question I have that I hope to answer, or at least scratch the surface in this series, is what is humility? And what does it look like? Because, you know, like when I first heard this quote, there was a season in my life about 10 years ago or so where the Lord was really emphasizing this to me. And I, so, you know, and I was like, I started to understand, like realizing, man, this is important. Like humility is important. It's not something we want to be like, yeah, yeah, humility. Because like over and over again in the scriptures, it's like humble yourself. Like, like even in the epistles, it's like clothe yourself with humility. You know that scripture that I gave you where it's like those who humble themselves will be exalted? Notice that it's something you have to do. Like, it's a decision you have to make. It's not, I can't, nowhere in the Bible do I see anybody saying, God, humble me. It's always an imperative. You humble yourself. And if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. So it's something we have to do. So when I realize this, I'm like, okay, well, what is humility? Yeah, like, what, is, what do I have to do? Because, <laughs> you know, it's, what, it's like the way my mind works. It's like, man, I want, a defini- I want a conceptual definition of, like, humility. This is what humility is, like a dictionary definition. But I couldn't find it in the Bible. Like, you know, I just couldn't. Like, it's like, what? Because you hear so many different opinions about what humility is, so many different perspectives. It's like, well, what is it? But then I realized, like, yeah, granted, I, I can't find a definite, but if you just look at, read, especially the New Testament, humility is woven throughout. You look at, just look at the Gospels. Like Matthew, Matthew, just look, five, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. How does Jesus start? The Beatitudes. It's like you think, what are the Beatitudes? Those are all different facets of humility. It's like, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah? Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness. All of these things are different facets of what humility is. And then Jesus contrasts that with pride. He goes on to say, hey, when you pray... Don't do it like the Pharisees in public so that you look awesome to other people so that it will feed your pride. Do it in the secret place. Yeah? Do it because your father who's in secret sees it. Don't do it in front of others. When you fast, don't put ashes on yourself so everyone knows you're fasting. Like the Pharisees. (laughs) But when you fast, don't tell other people because the father will see you and he'll reward you. It's humility, right? It's like do it so that don't do it for others because if you do, that's your reward. But if you do it, it's all about the motives of the heart. Yeah? And that's what Jesus is really concerned with. Right? It's like he's concerned with the condition of our heart. He's not, I mean, yeah, like I said, there's balance because you need to have fundamental beliefs, but like, you know, I'm saying is like, God's more concerned about the condition of your heart. And it's so apparent in the Sermon on the Mount. It's like, when you give, don't give trumpeting it like the Pharisees do. Don't let, and he says, instead, let your left, don't let your left hand know what your right's doing. Give in secret. Because it's like, that's, that feeds our pride. It's like the Pharisees, like, look how awesome I am. I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm giving. Hey, everybody, look at me. <laughs> and then, right, pride. 
So then you just look at the epistles too, over and over again. Clothe yourself with humility. So again, it's like you got to humble yourself. And so you can just, so what does that look like? What does humility even mean? Okay, so I'm going to start off by saying, what does humility look like? Jesus. He's the right answer. (laughs) Jesus. Now, look at in Matthew. We all know this verse, but I want you to think about this. This is Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden's light. You know, when I think about this, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I think, I'm, I think this is true. This is the only time Jesus ever describes himself using, like, attributes or trait characteristics. Like, I can't think of any other times where Jesus is like, this is what I'm like, except here. So the only time we see this is Jesus explaining what he's like, I'm humble. All the things he could say. It's like, if, I took a, if he took a personality test, it'd be like, he's humble. <laughs> it's like, this is what I am. So it's like, as disciples of Christ, yeah, it's like, we want to be humble, don't we? Because he's, he's our Messiah. He's who we're imitating. Who, we're supposed to imitate him as his disciples. So we want to be able to say, I'm humble of heart, right? I'm gentle. So we can be a safe place for others to come on to. Because we're supposed to be Jesus' hands and his feet in this world. And we're not, like, pride is not very attractive to the world, is it? We want to be humble. Now, I want to give you, like, this is the ultimate scripture on humility, in my opinion. Okay? So I'm just going to read it to you. This is from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being a spirit, sorry, one spirit and one mind. Look at this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The Phar- that Pharisee in Luke 18 sure wasn't doing that, was he? He was valuing himself way more, right? It's like, look at me, I'm way better than this guy. No, you do the opposite. Value others ahead of yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now here we go who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance of man, look at this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death to the cross, on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Notice he humbled himself. And remember that scripture, those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's exactly what this is saying. Jesus, the Son of God, humbled himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that every name of Jesus, sorry, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is our Messiah. If anyone could be prideful, if it should, could be Jesus, right? It's like, I'm the Son of God. No one else on earth has ever been born of the Spirit, like, right, virgin birth, because I'm God's Son. <laughs> I am your Savior. Jesus never, like, you know, and because he could, he could have done that, but he ne- it's like, no, he humbled himself to such an extent that God exalted him to the highest place. And he's our example. That's, that's what we're supposed to look like. Now, one, one more verse in this category, talking about how um, we want to be, like, what's humility look like? It looks like Jesus, okay? I want to share this story from, from Luke 10. Because I want to show you, this makes Jesus really happy when we're humble. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. So this is Luke 10, 70 to 22. Give it, to give you some context, this is where the 72 others were sent out. They went and cast out a bunch of demons, healed the sick, came back. They were really excited. So they returned with joy, and they're like, Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. They're really excited. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, I have that bolded and highlighted for a reason. I want you just to remember that, because that's an, what an interesting thing to say, yeah? Sometimes it's like, what? okay, fair enough. But I, I'm going to actually show you what Jesus was talking about. But So just hold that thought. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy, and nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now look at this, verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. Now, I want to point out something. That word joy, I have the Greek word down there. I want to show, because often we think Jesus was really stoic and serious. <laughs> we don't think of him as very happy sometimes, do we? But look, look at how happy, this is what the word means. Okay, I don't know how you pronounce it. Agalio, I don't know. But look at this. It's actually literally from the word to jump, to leap. So properly getting so glad that one jumps in celebration to exalt because he was so experientially joyful. He was jumping up and down, and like, he, that's how happy he was about this. What made him so, look at what made him happy. Okay, first of all, that God revealed these things to little children, yeah. The humble. And I'm going to show you in another message that Jesus revealed to, like, we're supposed to be like little children because because of their humility. But look at this. That's not the only thing that made Jesus really happy. What made him happy? That God hid these things from the wise and learned as well. It's like, why did that make Jesus so happy? Yeah, why did that make Jesus so happy that he's jumping up and down about it? It's an interesting thing to think about, yeah? Yeah. And I want you to think about what is he even referring to? What did he reveal to little children? He's talking about the things of the kingdom because it's in the context of them casting out demons and healing and stuff. But also he's, re- he's talking about salvation because he said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. 
So who are the ones who are coming to Christ? Who are the ones who are going to receive him? It's not the theologians necessarily who are right. It's the humble who are humble enough to receive his grace, to receive his grace. Because it's a gift, and you have to receive it like a little child. Now, I just want to give this contrast just to finish, because I'm talking, so what does humility look like? Jesus. How many of you want to make Jesus really happy? (laughs) Yeah, okay. How do you do it? Humility. Like a little child. Receiving like a little child. But then what's this thing about the wise and learned? So what does pride look like? The devil. (laughs) Okay? The devil. Now what I'm going to do is show you two really well-known scriptures about the devil from the Old Testament. And I want you to notice what his fall was all about. Because remember I asked you, what was Jesus talking about this whole thing with him being cast down like lightning from heaven? Yeah, he was alluding to these scriptures I'm about to read to you. And I'm gonna, then I want you to notice what made the devil fall. So look at this. This is Ezekiel 28, 14 through 17. You were anointed, this is talking about Satan. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, angel. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fairy ones. Look at this. How did this all happen? Your heart became proud. That was his, that's what happened. On account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom. Remember, Jesus is like, you, re, you hid these things from the wise and learned. The wisdom. Because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. Now this is another verse, uh, portion from Isaiah 14, 11 to 15. Again, this is about Satan. All your pomp has been brought down to the grave along with the noise of your harps. Maggots are all spread out beneath you and worms cover you. How you've fallen from heaven, right? Notice this is what Jesus is referring to. Morning star, son of the dawn, you've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, remember, it's a matter of the heart. Look at what Satan said. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you're brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Like, just, I'm trying to make this contrast, because look at this in relative to Philippians uh, chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus, how he did not consider attaining uh, the status of God, but he humbled himself, so God exalted him. Look what happened here. The devil exalted himself, so God humbled him. It's, right? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. So Satan fell because he allowed pride to enter his heart. Pride caused the devil to fall, and he's caused the fall of almost everyone's sense. So what is pride? Pride's to think that you don't need God. Pride's to think that you could ever be righteous or acceptable on your own merit. Self-righteousness is what caused Satan to fall from grace. And therefore, God will only give his grace to the humble. Selah. 
only give his grace to the humble. Last verse from Isaiah. This is saying the same thing. Because I want, again, that quote I started off with. These are the ones I look on with favor. Isaiah 66, verse 2. Those who are what? Humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. So again, I'll end off where I started, this quote. So I want you to think about this. Right now in this day and age, the best discernment that you can ever use is to hang out with those who are followers of Jesus that are humble and broken, just like the Isaiah verse I just read. Because Jesus dealt with people not in terms of right and wrong, but in terms of humble or proud. Amen? So in, in the future weeks, we're going to dig a little deeper on humility and pride. Because I'm realizing, like, you know, this, the kind of thing where, like, I haven't even scratched the surface yet. And so hopefully we'll get a better understanding as, as the weeks progress on what it is. But I hope that today you'll leave here with at least considering this. Yeah, and, and maybe if the Lord's been convicting you, like I said, he's been convicting me as I've been preparing this message, then it's a good opportunity for us to examine ourselves and, and repent if we need to, yeah? So uh, what I'll do then is, is end in prayer. And if the worship team, whenever you want to come up, go for it. So Father, we just thank you so much for your grace. We thank you that we, we're nothing without you. We can't do anything except by your grace. And Lord, I ask you for your grace and your revelation of what it means to be humble so that we can walk this out. Lord, I pray that if there's anything that we're doing or that, 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 that an area of our life where pride is snuck in, God, I ask that you would reveal, reveal that to us right now and that you would enable us to repent of that and that you would help us to be humble, Lord. I, I realize that your scripture says that we humble ourselves, but we ask that you would enable us to know what that looks like so that we can follow you and that if you are here right now, like the early disciples, that we would be disciples of you and that we wouldn't be Pharisees. Lord, that, that we would be the humble and contrite who are teachable, who are correctable, and who only want to do your will. So I thank you, Father, for this wonderful congregation. I thank you so much for this opportunity. And I just ask that your presence be with us and that you continue to help us to... Uh, just consider your, your scriptures and your words and to, to help us repent if we need be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.